that's what we're going to talk about today. So can I have someone come and offer a prayer for us as we listen and hear God's word? Hello, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time set apart from the world, from our commitments, from all the stuff out there. And thank you for your servant, Pastor Chelsea. Thank you for the gift of teaching and communication that she is using with wisdom and grace. And I just ask that you will surround her with your Holy Spirit, that you will strengthen her in this next 20, 30 minutes, that you will bring her message that she's prepared with clarity, and that, that the Holy Spirit will stir our hearts from what she has prepared, Father, and that we can be changed. We can go out from this place changed because of today's service. Thank you for the music. Thank you for all the people that you have um, entrusted as your servants today. And we just pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will be very present in this place. Thank you for your gift. And thank you for the time we're going to have left in this service. In your precious name, amen. So this week and last week were the, are the foundation-laying weeks, and so they're a little different than how we normally talk about God's Word together. We aren't going to start with the Scripture passage, but we're going to talk about some very biblical things. We're going to talk about a lot of different passages of Scripture and then focus in on two towards the end. So if you like to follow along in the Bible, I, I invite you now to grab one because it might be a little awkward a little later on. And then when it comes time to look at a specific passage of Scripture, I will tell you the page numbers that we're going to look at together. So last week we started by looking at what the call to discipleship is. The fact that not everyone who believes in Jesus takes that next step of becoming his student, of becoming like his original disciples, of committing themselves to a lifetime of a relationship of learning and growing to be more like Jesus. We looked at how we're changed by those customs and those values, and we looked at how we're called to be committed to the ways of God, and how we're commanded to be a blessing and to make more disciples. So those the four C's we looked at last week. And today we're going to look at the role of community. And so in your worship folders this morning, there are four kind of areas that we're going to talk about in case you're somebody who likes to take notes. And we're going to start with God because God is a great place to start. So as Christians, we believe that God is one. We have one God, but known and is three persons. It's a mystery. I cannot explain it to you, but this is what we believe. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So in the Trinity, in God, there is a community. In God, there are relationships. So God, by God's very nature, is relational. 
We know each of these persons of the Trinity in very unique ways. We know God, our Father, as our Creator. We know Jesus, the Son, as our Savior and our Redeemer. And we know the Holy Spirit who has brings God, Jesus, to us, and the one who makes known to us God, the Creator's design and plan for us, through the work of the Holy Spirit, who is God with us now. So God, in three persons, each person in relationship with us, and each person in relationship with one another. So God, by God's very nature, is communal. And at the beginning, what does God say? Let us make humans in our image. Now, the hour when God says that is actually a writing style known in, in ancient literature to be the royal we. So like the queen says we when she talks, but that doesn't mean she's more than one, right? She's only one. But so it's a writing style. But even in that sense, we are made in the image of a communal God. We are made to be relational. Because one of the next things God says about humanity, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he makes for man a woman, an equal, to be in relationship, to be communal, to be relational, and to work together. An etzer kenigdo, a help faint. So God has designed us in his image to be communal and relational. That's the Genesis story. And all throughout scripture, we hear over and over and over and over again, either in these exact words or in the commands of God, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as a way of honoring God. Love, by its very nature, requires relationship. I might say that I love Ryan Gosling, but what I'm saying is I actually love his body of work. I love his movies. You notice I said body of work? <laughs> you got to have a joke now and then. Okay. So, I love his movies. I don't love him because I don't know him. How can I love somebody I don't know or interact with? Love, at its very nature requires two participants. Whether it's received or rejected, it still requires it to go from one place to another. So love is relational. And that is the key command of God, to love God and to love our neighbors. Dallas Willard says, you cannot have one posture towards God and a different posture towards other people. We express our love for God in the ways in which we obey his commands to love other people. We express our relationship with God in the ways that we relate to other people according to God's will. In the ways in which we commit to having changed values and to see the world as Christ sees the world. The command over and over and over again sets us back in that relational mindset. 
And that's the biblical mindset. But the other part to the biblical mindset that we have a hard time understanding but is just taken for granted in the way that Scripture is written is the fact that they were a communal society. We tend to be a much more individualized society with the rise of modernism and rugged individualism and manifest destiny and all of these things that kind of have shaped us in sometimes good but most a lot of bad ways. The biblical mindset is to be one who sees yourself not as an individual, but as a member of a larger community. So when Abraham, as an individual, is called to follow after God, it's not just Abraham that's called, even though he's the one that's named. It's Abraham and his entire family and all of his servants that are called. And what are they called to do? They are called to be a blessing to the nations. And when Jesus comes to earth, what does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's aim is not just for individual salvation of people or individuals. God's aim is the renewal of all things. In the Old Testament, the people of God saw themselves as the chosen ones. They shared the story of those who went before them in such a way that it was as though they were slaves in Egypt, even if they didn't actually live through that ordeal. They expressed their faith not just as individuals, but as a community. So in Nehemiah, for instance, in the, the second half of Nehemiah that we didn't look at when we studied that book together, after they built the wall, they spent time in communal confession and repentance and revival together. When Jesus calls his disciples, he doesn't just call one person to be his student. He calls a group of people to be his students. Because when we study together, we're challenged by one another. We have people we, t- we can talk to about what we've heard from this guy who's teaching some pretty crazy things. We're partnered together for service that we're not working on our own ever. The New Testament letters are all written to churches, even when they're written to individuals. The church is the topic, even in a letter like Philemon, where it's written to an individual about something that that individual needs to decide. It's written to a slave owner from Paul who wants the slave owner, Philemon, to let Onesimus go so that Onesimus can serve the kingdom of God. But that letter was read not by Philemon on his own, but by the entire church gathered in his house. So that the church, the community, the people who were in relationship with Philemon could hold him accountable and help him make the right choice about following what God wanted to do in their situation. All over scripture, we get this sense that we are not just individuals, but we are a community. We are people in relationship. And in the New Testament letters, when we read you, our English doesn't help us because you can be singular or plural. But most of the time when it's used in the letters in the New Testament that describe what discipleship looks like when it's lived out in a community, it's plural. The command is for the community, not just for individuals. Oh, and one more thing. 
the Bible, though it's written words for us, was first an oral tradition. Words spoken from one person to another or to a group. Again, underscoring this sense that it is a communal activity to be the people of God. Learning about God. Growing in God. We could talk a lot more about different ways that Scripture points to this. But instead, we're going to talk about what Scripture says specifically. So first, I can't help but give you this one from Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson says that no Christian is an only child. When you come to faith in realizing what God has done for you and that God is your father, you inherit millions upon billions of brothers and sisters, both here, around the world, and across time. You inherit a community. You inherit a story that you did not live, but one that still shaped you. So let's turn to Hebrews 10 together. And this is on page 175 in your green Bibles in the second set of page numbers. And we're going to see how our modern context can set us in the wrong direction. So the modern understanding of individualism, for instance, or the ways in which modernism and this idea that we can classify all of our knowledge and put it in the right column and uh, master the information goes against what we are hearing in the Word of God. At the same time, out of modernism has risen this kind of pendulum swing reaction of postmodernism, which says there is no master truth to cling to for everyone, but each of us as individuals, see, so individualism is still present, gets to decide and control what that truth is for me, right? We're going to see how that also doesn't mesh with what God says in his word. So Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the way of the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So who does the work? God does the work. There is nothing for us to master to get us into the throne room of God, but it is the work of Jesus, our master, that gets us into the throne room. Of God. So there's the first jab, so to speak, at modernism. And the second jab is my friends, beloved. It's a communal welcoming into the kingdom or into the presence of God. It's not just for you, but it's for all of your brothers and sisters in Christ. So verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. So let us hold fast. So let not just you hold fast, but let us as a community hold fast to our confession of our hope, which is placed outside of ourselves. Our hope that we cling to is Jesus. Jesus, the absolute truth, the big T capital truth that responds to the claims of postmodernism that you can decide on your own way. Let us hold fast to this and let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. Let us consider the ways in which we can encourage one another to grow with Christ. That's what they're saying. And let us not neglect meeting together because as we are together, we have opportunity to live out our faith. As we are together, we have the opportunity to show love. We have the We have the opportunity to turn our knowledge into action, which goes back to what we were talking about when we were looking at the letter in 1 John. That knowing in that perfect tense of the word means you actually live what you know to be true. That you are changed by what you know to be true. So let us not neglect meeting together. Let's look at one more passage, Ephesians 4. Chapter 11. And if you're going to look in your Bibles, it's on page 149 of the second set of page numbers. What sets us apart as a church community from a social club or a volunteer organization is that our community is built by Jesus Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who has written the text on life together in Christian community, Uh, says this. Christian community is founded solely in Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual and not merely a human reality. Christian brotherhood, or sisterhood, we can add, is not an ideal we must realize. So it's not something that we can master or create on our own. It is rather a reality that is created by God in Christ in which we are invited to participate, in which we are invited to experience the work of the Holy Spirit, to participate in what he is already doing. We do not bring the kingdom of God. God brings the kingdom of God through his people. We experience the Holy Spirit in God's community. So that's what we hear beginning at verse 11 in chapter 4. The gifts Jesus gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, 
by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful schemings. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From, From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. You have to see yourself within the workings of God's community to find yourself in this passage. When this passage speaks to you as an individual, it's to place you with other people working towards God, who is the head, Jesus Christ, the head of the church, with the goal that all of its parts each of the individuals within that community grow up in maturity towards him. But not on their own, because if the finger leaves the body, then, well, you don't have a finger anymore. But to move up together, elevating together, growing in maturity together towards Christ and his will. It's a beautiful thing that God meets us as individuals. It's part of that manifold grace of God we started to talk about last week. That God meets us as individuals and speaks to us as individuals. But the true growth comes when we are put in the crucible of relationships. Of living that faith out with other people. Of showing our love of God and our maturity, and being able to see ourselves as the ones who the Holy Spirit uses to shape and transform other people in the knowledge of God. As the ones who can challenge false doctrine and teachings. I think one of the reasons why televangelists, the bad kind, are so effective is because they are speaking to individuals in a home on their own not to a community of believers with the ability to make sure and keep one another on that right path. When you leave this place, you have the opportunity to talk with one another about what you're hearing us say today. But when we try to live our faith on our own, we get caught up in our own heads, our own stories, our own ideas. And what being in the community of faith rooted in God's word does is it keeps us in the real truth. Not our perceived truth, not our hope for truth, but in God's truth. And when we submit to that kind of community, we are submitting to being disciples of God together. So as we here at Christ Community Church grow and love and live and worship and serve together, we live out our faith to God, understanding that we are the agents who share God's mystery with one another, who share God's sacrifice with one another, and who have in our Gifting of being placed together, the opportunity to live out a lot of God's will and commands for this world together. 
much more than if you were a hermit living on your own, trying to do your own faith thing. And in this way, we image our good and beautiful relational God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, some of us are coming to a deeper understanding of what this life with you is actually inviting us into. We're coming to a deeper understanding of its bigness and its its awesomeness that it includes not just me but other people. But I suspect, Lord, that if we spent time with you, you, Holy Spirit, would show us how this has already been true. How you have already spoken through other people to shape and transform us. How our life with you is meant to be not just for our good, but for the good of your world. And so as we consider your invitation to be disciples together, we trust you again, Holy Spirit, to provide all that we need. May you find us as a community faithful and heeding your call to be disciples together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.